Welcome to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm your host, Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis is all about our city as an urban place, including its neighborhoods, buildings, pathways, and parks, as well as the people who shape it. Join us each week as community leaders and commentators talk with me about our shared built environment. So welcome back to Memphis Metropolis, everybody. I'm Emily Trenum, the host, and this week I am delighted to welcome two guests, Mary Elizabeth Whitmire, who is a Rhodes College student, and Mr. Muhammad from Juice Orange Mound in the Orange Mound neighborhood. And today we're talking about the Mound Up Neighborhood Revitalization Plan, which is a really interesting planning process that's happening in Orange Mound right now. So welcome to both of you. Um, Mr. Mohammed, let's start with you, I guess, and um, just tell us a little bit about what the Mound Up Plan is and then why it's so important that it's happening now. Well, thank you. The Mound Up Plan. Uh, let's say it speaks towards the current events of things taking place where our community is receiving recognition for uh, historicalness, uh, receiving recognition for uh, the the development of historical railroads, the development of a early early childhood development center on Park Avenue. Uh, a number of things is taking place, and and Juice Orange Mound stepped in. We started a street assembly. Uh, a few years back, we asked Austin to come and uh, help us with doing some assessment on properties in the community. And from there, we built a relationship to where now we have students from Rose coming to help us to do uh, some of our planning events. Because we looked at models around the, around the community and we saw a couple that we liked. And so we decided we'll get some um, students to help us to kind of put things in perspective. So we're, we're at a point where Juice Orange Mile would like to be that that component to say we, we, we speak to issues and concern of present time, dealing with our mental illness, dealing with our social socialness, dealing with uh, alcohol and drug. Uh, matter of fact, Brittany is presently uh, helping with homelessness after having the, uh, the warming, sh- warming shelter up there at uh, the, the facility on Park. Used to be the old Ivinskis. Now it's the Juice uh, Hub. So Going forward, each zone captain and co-captain and street captain are asked to present projects that we think will help with beautification and landscaping in our community. So we 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 we, uh, we started doing that through Motor Mound. Uh, we was blessed to have some funds to actually cut lots that we paid vendors to cut to present a proposal to the uh, the city that. The community can maintain these lots. We just need the assistance of the what's being paid for the vendors to cut them anyway. Allow us to um, guide that process so that we can put uh, vendors in our community that live in the community that have landscaping equipment that can do this work. So we can begin to see uh, mobility where we are beginning to take ownership of maintaining and, and, and govern how these lots should look and be able to assist the city in maintaining a decent and, and a fair way of uh, keeping residents engaged. That's great. Yeah, um, Juice Orange Mound is doing amazing work. And as you said, Juice is um, currently running a, yeah, a, a, um, a, really a shelter for homeless that just was supposed to be a one-time warming center. And the needs in the community were so great that it's become a, a longer-term facility right there in the old Avenskis building, as you said. So Mary Elizabeth, um, what's the, I mean, how did, um, how'd roads get involved? And I mean, and, um, and then what's the, what is your role in the planning process? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the process of roads getting involved happened in the spring of 2020. Brittany met with Austin and decided that they did want to approach roads and see if we would be interested. So just just so people know, Brittany Thornton is executive director. And I think one of the founders of um, of 
juice orange mound. So continue on. Okay. Yeah. Sorry about that. Um, so starting in the fall of 2020, um, Austin Harrison uh, led a class called Neighborhood Equity in which um, about 15 students came and started learning about juice and started the Mound Up uh, neighborhood plan process. So we started learning about the community, going to the street assembly meetings and meeting with different residents and stakeholders, and then continued working in the spring and over the summer to meet with people again and host listening sessions based off of our six different focus areas. And um, yeah, so that's kind of how it started. And I guess the just mutual benefit is um, at Rhodes, we're able to really get involved in the Memphis community and offer the resources and knowledge that we have and kind of help the, um, kind of help the neighborhood shape their, um, their own change that's happening. So it's kind of a mutual benefit happening there. How many students are involved? So I think in the fall, we have between 15 and 20 students. Um, and then around that number over the spring and then over the summer, three road students interned, including myself. And then we'll have another class in this upcoming fall with probably 15 to 20 students again. So Mr. Muhammad, um, you mentioned the street assembly. Um, talk a little bit more about what that is and how the street assembly has been getting people involved in the Mound Up plan. Well, the street assembly, we, we're asking our street captains to become more aware or become more involved in going down their street, trying to uh, help them to do like the, the 311 apps to report where you see high grass, uh, building uh, that may have been boarded up, that somebody may have taken it off. So make the report so we can build a, a paper trail to help the city to identify where these areas are. Uh, and also, again, to get their input as to what they would like to see done in their community. A lot of uh, um, response have been around speed bumps. A lot of response have been around safety, crossing uh, places close to the school. So, so the, the street assembly is the eyes and ears to help get things back to the board so we can begin to um, uh, design some plans or do projects around it because uh, we are hoping that as we are uh, getting closer to gaining uh, um, the lots being donated to the community to uh, put uh, sunflower seeds so that the sunflower would help keep down on the weed, monkey grass will help keep down on the weed so we won't have this overgrowth constantly appearing and we can maintain it. Our goal is to put arches uh, orchards, should I say, you know, fruit um, fruit orchards, so that uh, we can begin to look at some of the original uh, uh, fruits that were grown here, like mustard, peaches, pears, apples. So th this this area is known for that. So if we can kind of like touch base with that and use the vacant lots for that purpose, I think it will help us in uh, supporting what we do at the farmer's market right there at Carnes and Marshall So we have to see interchangeable things taking place so that the community can can see how to buy in. We want them to play a major role in this. It's not just what Juice want, what Mr. Muhammad want, what the street, a street assembly want. It's what we see as a means of being proactive when it comes to organization coming to the community uh, with their projects as if there's not plans and programs and service that are already in place speaking to this but underfunded you know and just have not made that uh big turn to be able to you know do million dollar projects in our community but million dollar projects are going on around us but not with us i hear you so um what's it like what's the experience um been like working with mary elizabeth and her and her fellow students. You see that, and when you talk about bringing a smile to 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 the face of someone who's in the community and enjoying to see the young energy and the the excitement that come across their faces when they see some of the things that they have heard. Now they have a, another perspective on how to look at Orange Mound. Uh, now they are seeing that 
the jewel that's being talked about is just not being cultivated properly. And with the proper cultivation, with the proper cultivation, you can see some amazing things. I'm not going to reveal any of the thing that me and Mir have already put on paper because we want we want it to be a surprise to the community. <laughs> I love how you put that about a jewel. That really, that's that's exactly how I see the Orange Mountain community. But actually, Mary Elizabeth, for you, so you grew up in, um, of course, you grew up in the Button area, so and not Collierville. Um, so you probably, you know, Button's not that far from Orange Mound. Um, you probably, you know, drove down Park Avenue um, through Orange Mound on your way home from Bidtown, I'm guessing. And um, but how did working in Orange Mound, you know, change your how you saw the neighborhood? It changed it fundamentally so much. I mean. Growing up, I obviously, like you said, lived right by Orange Mound, but it wasn't really, I wasn't really in those circles um, too often. So what I saw of Orange Mound, I don't think really reflects what the neighborhood is. And so the opportunity to really work with Juice, with Mound Up, with Mr. Muhammad um, has honestly taught me so much about the neighborhood, especially the history of the neighborhood is amazing. Um, and that's not something that, you know, I was taught in school about Memphis history and how Orange Mound is the first African-American community. Um, and just like the self-sufficiency of the neighborhood is really inspiring. And so being able to get to know that has changed my perspective so much. I would say that's true. I mean, you know, of course, I didn't grow up here, so I wasn't educated here. But I do think, you know, Orange Mound, you know, Douglas also has very rich history and um, unless you grow up in those neighborhoods, I don't think that's part of what you're learning in the his in the history classes. Um, so that's great. I I that's great. So what's the and this is for either one of you. Um, you know, planning. There's usually a process. Um, you know, community engagement. You gather data. You develop priorities. I don't know if you're going along that sort of you know, traditional path of planning, but are you, and then where are you in that whole process? Either one of you. Okay. We are planning and we do have things um, in a planning state of implementation. It's just that we have learned over the years, so many of our projects get misconstrued once we give uh, insight to them. So we'll, we'll ask, you know, and, I, and I'm so gracious to uh, Austin and, and, and Mary for, for working with us and allowing us to hold somewhat of a, a cover on some of the planning stages of the things that we are trying to do and actually until we actually get implementation and, and construction going. So, so, yes, there are at least four that we have on the table that's ready to roll out. And my, uh, Elizabeth and myself, we are working on one. It's so sweet. So it's almost like, it's almost like candy. <laughs> yep. You have four projects that are ready to go. Tell me what they are. Is it a secret? Yes, of course it is. You didn't know that. Oh, come on. We're not revealing that. <laughs> come Just tell me one. Okay. Uh, the incubator with the, uh, um, Investigate store. That's, that as that development kicks off and funds are made available to go ahead and turn the building into an incubator. We're going to have food trucks uh, on the backside. If you saw the remnants of what that building is going to look like, you'll be like, okay, that's a game changer. And 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 that's the type of energy that the young people bring to the table. Is that game changing uh, image that helps the community to recognize, oh, we don't have to run way out to Wolf Chase. We don't have to run way out to uh, South Haven. We got a, we got our own little amusement theme and recreational theme here. I love that. So Mary Elizabeth, you want to add anything in terms of the process? It sounds like you've let the community sort of, instead of imposing a process and timeline on the community, you've let them dictate what it is, but do you want to elaborate on that at all? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think you're completely right. Our kind of motto going into this is that 
the Mound Up plan is for the community, by the community. So we're really just following their lead on that. Um, I would say where we are in terms of the bigger like Mound Up process is we're still gathering data. Um, we hosted listening sessions past spring and kind of talked to different stakeholders in each six areas and um, kind of heard the questions they needed answered or what they needed to hear. And so we use uh, those questions to put into our survey which um, covers each of the topics and has been sent out to most of Orange Mound. Hopefully we have a goal of reaching 350 responses. And so we're still in that period of trying to reach that goal right now. And then um, this semester we'll be looking at different um, implementation strategies. So that's kind of where we are right now. Well, and, and I know that um, Brittany Thornton from JUICE and I have talked about this, about how you know, in neighborhoods, in the community engagement process, sometimes you only hear from 25 people and that's not really good data. And it sounds like there's been a lot of intent to um, to hear from more people. So what what are you, I guess, starting with you, Mr. Muhammad, I mean, you talked about, you know, crime and pedestrian safety, but what are people saying they want the plan to address besides? that we haven't talked about? Uh, basically, home ownership, uh, a better communication with the banks when it comes to being able to obtain funding to do uh, small construction around their home, um, issues around uh, the safety at school, uh, issues around organizations who may or may not have their compliance in order to be able to support some of the projects that we want to work on. So it's it's... It's a number of things, but at the same time, that collectiveness is what kept this community going the way it's going. So uh, just know for sure that it's a process where healing is taking place and collectiveness of information and, and putting it uh, discriminated to the right organization and to the right people to get these things done. We have two major constructors in our community, uh, Howard Eddings and uh, Dwayne Jones. These men doing wonderful work, and and the, and the people that they speak with and work with are people that they try to draw in that are locally to include them in the in the project. So, you know, to try to give it all in one little setting will never um, get to that point because there's many players. It, it takes many hands to make a lot of things happen, and and with many players that are doing things that not getting the recognition or the support that is needed in order to move this, this needle a little farther down the road. Okay. So if you're just joining us, we're listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. We're talking to Mary Elizabeth Whitmere from Rhodes College and Mr. Muhammad from Juice Orange Mound. We're talking about the orange Mound Up Neighborhood Revitalization Plan. So Mary Elizabeth, sort of same question to you. What are you hearing? You, you mentioned that, that the listening sessions yielded sort of the questions that the community wanted answers to, and then that's going into the survey. So what did, what did the, the come from the listening sessions that, the that people said, we need to know more from the community about this? Right, absolutely. Um, I think, like Mr. Muhammad said, Mr. Muhammad said, um, ownership is a really big question of who owns Orange Mound, um, especially with housing, with outside investors, that kind of thing. Um, that's a big question that we are kind of working on seeing um, that kind of thing. But I think, in terms of the topics, um, housing is really a hot topic, as is economic development and. Um, but the more and more we look at them and we have the listening sessions, we realize how much they kind of go into one another. Like a lot of the topics really overlap. And so we just see that it's important to know who's owning it, but it's also important to know um, the other factors of education, cultural preservation, that kind of thing. They all kind of go into one. Well, and Mr. Muhammad, uh, you mentioned, you know, people that are working in the community, you know, Howard Eddings, um, who, does housing development through NHO management. Um, it also has Red Zone Ministries and of course, Dwayne Jones, who's building some affordable housing. But, you know, normally planning processes also have other stakeholders, like there's someone from the, from you know, the government and then there's other nonprofits and 
you know, business owners, are those other kind of stakeholders or involved, or is this really a resident, almost exclusively a resident development developed plan? Those resources are very much welcome. What we are trying to avoid is the dictatorshipness that comes with some of that red tape is to allow a new version of how visions are being approached, perspectives are being uh, allowed to take to take place and be executed in the community. Now, uh, we're not without the mindset to do a great thing and and to prove to. Uh, proof to the pudding, when when the students came on board to assist, when Austin recognized you know, what we were doing, and he see how these resources can be uh, used in a manner by which it could help put data where it needs to be and to direct question where they need to be. Because you know, we have not gone to uh, environment court to address a lot of issues. That might be something that we have to do as we go forward with some of the development we're doing because of, of the stakeholders that we're still trying to identify in our community. Mary Elizabeth, anything you want to add to that? Just um, in terms yeah. of the involvement of other stakeholders or... Um, For sure, yeah, I think for the plan, it's important that anyone with connections to Orange Mound um, is involved. I mean, especially residents, obviously, but residents are stakeholders, you know, so stakeholders are different nonprofits. And I think one of our goals of this process is to um, kind of consolidate our efforts and know what all of these different nonprofits and stuff are working towards, because there's a lot of things already happening in Orange Mound without um, kind of a common consolidated goal. So hopefully by involving these different nonprofits and other stakeholders um, in the neighborhood and working with them, we can kind of have that consolidated effort and be working towards the same thing. Well, the, um, you know, a big thing that's happening in Orange Men is the redevelopment of Melrose School into, you know, senior housing and a new library and, um, you know, it's something the community has wanted for a long time. Well, I mean, certainly that I have heard from the community that they wanted Melrose redeveloped. Is that, how does that sort of, is that just a sort of a discussion item in the, in the mound up plan or is it, how is that influencing the planning at all? The fact that that's happening right now, Mr. Muhammad. That conversation is being uh, addressed on maybe two fronts with the uh, existing organization that is working with it and with the uh, stakeholders and the investors and juice that willing to collaborate and work with them as well. Now, um, the goal is to level the playing field so that the, the main purpose is that it speaks to the issues and concerns of the community and the stakeholders who are bringing the funds to help make it happen. All we're asking is that do not push things in that were not asked for already. You know, either we can do what we asked for or we're going to do what you, you know, what others say we have to do. And, you know, and, and that, that bit of pill is not easy to swallow when it comes to knowing that the innovativeness that can take place just by uh, collaborating. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, too often the, you know, g government, and government and its partners sort of helicopter in and decide what they think the community needs. And, you know, there's some perfunctory, you know, meetings. And it is really important to make sure, especially a, a big investment like that, that it really aligns with the, with, you know, what the community wants and then also leverages the strengths of the community, whether it's, you know, hiring people in the neighborhood to work on the project or there's just so many things that often don't happen. So I hear you. Um, so are, do you anticipate once the mound up plan is done going back to the city and other partners, you mentioned banks and asking them to invest in some of these projects? that the community wants. Yes, but in a, in a very, um, a, uh, how could I put ungeneric type way. There are obligations that our uh, elected officials 
and uh, some of the organizations, the banks have a responsibility to the community. Those type of conversation wasn't brought to the table early on. We are aware that these type of conversation does take place. We just want to be engaged in them so we can help get, direct them into the right area. Mary Elizabeth, do you want to add to that at all? I think Mr. Muhammad kind of captured it pretty well. Um, I think that is the intention. Yeah. <laughs> so what's the, um, what's the, how can people who aren't involved get involved? And then what's the call to action you want people in the neighborhood to do? Do you want them to fill out the survey or, um, Talk a little bit about how pe how people can get involved if they're hearing about it for the first time. Of course, you know, uh, uh, if you're able to uh, show the survey form or uh, uh, give some information about that survey and them going to uh, Juice uh, website and Facebook, you know, as Elizabeth can tell you, we are stepping on very... Uh, unique past of getting some things implemented and and the, the work is out there and and we're asking if you know if you have some resources if you have the time come through uh mary have you been by the garden yet over on uh park and cellar i think so but if not if you're ever going down park avenue going west look to your right you'll see a little uh, uh community garden over there you know we're still looking for additional help to bring that to fruition to where it become a garden where you can come by and we can be doing a little, uh, what they call it, um, passing out baskets saying, here, take some fruit, take some fruit, take some vegetables. Yeah. So yeah, we're working on some things. I mean, I'm excited, you know, to be 69 and knowing that uh, I'm standing on shoulders of men and women who have dreams and aspirations that have not been fulfilled. And, I, and, and here I come along, I'm seeing young people helping me to fulfill my dream and aspiration and, and, and willing to get out there and help us do it. Uh, times are a little different, but at the same time, the, the issue at hand is, do you have a love for this community to come back and bring some resources? Yeah, that's a great, um, that's really, yeah, that's a great way to close things out, I think. Um, Mary Elizabeth, any um, anything else about the plan or the partnership that we haven't talked about that you want people to know? Um, okay, going back to involvement, I think we would love to see more community members, more Orange Mound stakeholders um, come to our events. We have some public-facing events coming up this semester, I'm sure. Um, and all of those are available at our website, which is moundup.org. And then also for a call to action, taking the survey um, is the most important thing right now. Um, helping us get to that 350 mark uh, would be great. It's uh, bit.ly slash Moundup survey. Um, but I think for what I want people to know about the Moundup plan is just that even though there are changes happening, we see things happening in the neighborhood is that it's not too late and it's never too late to kind of reclaim the work that's happening and to um, use those neighborhood voices to shape the change that they're seeing. That's great. Well, this has been a fantastic discussion. Um, you know, in the second half of the show, Austin Harrison, who's the Rose professor that sort of made this linkage, is going to be on giving his perspective, and which also should be really interesting. So I've been talking to Mary Elizabeth Whitmire from Rhodes College and Mr. Muhammad from Juice Orange Mound. We've been talking about the Mound Up Neighborhood Revitalization Plan that's happening in Orange Mound right now. And I'm going to send out information about the website and also how people can fill out the survey. So thank you both so much for coming on Memphis Metropolis. It's really, I'm super excited about this, about this planning process. Thank you so much. It was so nice to meet you. Thank you so much. It really was a pleasure. You're listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. Have you checked out any of WYXR's other shows? You can see the whole program guide on our website at wyxr.org. And while you're there, please consider making a donation. We're a brand new station lifting up everything Memphis, and we need your support. 
But don't go away. Stay tuned for the rest of the show. Welcome to part two of this week's Memphis Metropolis. You're listening to WYXR 91.7 FM. And the topic of the day is the Mound Up Revitalization Plan for Orange Mound. Uh, The first half of the program had some guests talking who were involved in the planning process. And this half of the program, I've got Austin Harrison, who's one of our regular commentators and usually... Um, you know, comes on to talk kind of as an as a more objective observer about the topic that we covered in the first half. But in this case, Austin, you were very involved in that. You're very you are very involved in this project, and and this is your you're on for two weeks in a row. So you're very <laughs> you're a very special commentator. So well so welcome back. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited for this one. Thank you. So Austin, I know you. Um, of course, you know. Mary Elizabeth and Mr. Muhammad well, having worked with them on this on this um, on this project, this Orange Mound plan. But probably the you know first time you kind of heard them in discussion together about about their perspectives on the plan. So what just reflect for a couple minutes about what stood out to you about their that discussion? Yeah, I think the the first thing, and and I and I think this really speaks to. I don't want to get, you know, I have a tendency to get maybe too big picture sometimes, too jargony. But I think in reality, what Memphis Metropolis and, and you know, media outlets like it, I think, or should do more of is centering the voice of the neighborhood resident, right? A lot of times when we're talking about what's going on in communities and what we want to see in those communities, it's, you know, community development professionals, it's planning professionals, it's, you know, experts, right? Academics. And, and I, I just really enjoyed um, getting to hear what Mr. Muhammad really was, was seeing and, and what this plan means to him and how he is, you know, uh, thinking about and, 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 you know, doing the work of, of, of visioning in his neighborhood and what that means. Um, and as he reflects on his role as a longtime community leader in Orange Mound, but also sort of for him uh, in sort of what I got from listening to it for him is it, it is more than that, right? It's also a way to, um, I think him more than, many longtime community leaders are very intentional in understanding who's really going to drive a lot of this change forward. Right. And so I think bringing in Mary Elizabeth, but not only bringing in Mary Elizabeth from the Rhodes perspective, but also um, hearing him, his support for young leaders like Brittany Thornton, uh, other, you know, orange mound millennials and and, and younger folks that um, are saying to the orange mound old guard, right? Like we got this, right. We, we, we understand that you guys have, carried the community to where it's at and have been the bedrock of this neighborhood for so long, but we're really ready to bring in this new wave of, of Orange Mount, especially in the face of so much external attention, right? From the county assessor and the work that they're doing on the property value, property uh, depreciation task force. Um, you have the, a small area plan uh, that, that um, the Division of Planning Development's carrying for Accelerate Memphis. And then just from a market standpoint, you know, Orange Mound is right across the tracks from Cooper Young. Um, they're right next to Messick Button and University District neighborhoods that are seeing unprecedented investment and development. Glenview on the other side, on the west side of Orange Mound, is, is, is seeing a lot of uh, rental investment and external investment. And so you have to think uh, if you're sitting in, in that situation, right, from the resident standpoint, being able to do this now in the urgency of the moment, but also doing it in a way where you're looking towards the future and, and you're elevating um, the, the younger folks in a neighborhood to, that oftentimes, you know, are told to wait their turn, right. Or to, or to, you know, wait till the old guards ready to pass the baton onto them. And in this situation, I think the residents of Orange Mound understand the urgency and they understand that all residents, regardless of age, regardless of background, have to have to come to the table if they're really going um, to, to control the vision and control the future of what the neighborhood looks like, as opposed to, the you know the apparent alternative, which is a- a- external actors controlling that vision and them dictating what Orange Mound looks like 20, 30 years from now. Well, we talked about that. There is a tremendous amount going on. I do think the timing is critical. I mean, and you didn't mention. I mean, I we talked about Melrose, which is yeah, of Melrose course a huge, a huge, much needed mm-hmm. development, but also the Liberty Park That's is right. right on the edge of Orange Mound. And 
is going to have, I mean, we hope will serve the community as well as, you know, out of town families, but is for sure going to have an impact on that community. And so it is kind of squeezed from all sides. I agree with that. Yeah, it was a great discussion. And I enjoyed hearing about how they, there seemed to be, you know, genuine affection between the the two of them, but just the students and the neighbors, there seems, and I want to talk a a little bit more about that in a minute, about the relationship. But let's, um, I'm curious, I mean, you you kind of connected some of the dots. Mary Elizabeth mentioned that you taught a class on neighborhood equity, and one of the outcomes of that was, um, was, you know, a decision to work on this project. We talk a little bit about that class and then your existing relationships and how um, it all kind of, those things kind of aligned to make this very powerful partnership. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, Well, let's, let's take it from the top, as I like to say. Uh, I think in, I want to say it was, it was pre-COVID. It's right, right before um, COVID pandemic really started heating up, I think early spring 2020. uh, I was already in independent discussions with uh, Rhodes College, and we were talking about you know opportunities to, to teach some there, and then I was just having a, a coffee at, at Otherlands actually in Cooper Young, um, and we always try to Brittany Brittany Thornton and I when we meet up we always try to get as close to the Orange Mountain neighborhood as, as we can uh, for a coffee shop or something like that, uh, and so we were we were uh, in Cooper Young talking, and she she it was totally her vision right I can't uh, she she really saw what a bottom up plan could could look like in Orange Mound and, and sort of, you know, when, when I say the word bottom up, um, I'm, I'm saying traditionally, and, and this isn't not to disparage traditional planning at all, but, you know, the reality, a lot of times, whether it's a developer or whether it's a city or whatever government entity that's deciding we need to do a plan for X, Y, and Z reason, they generate it, they set the, the template, find the consultants, engage the community to varying degrees, but they're kind of driving it forward. And and in the 60s, you know, there's a, a long... Um, there was really sort of an awakening in the planning community to say, much like lawyers do pro bono hours for nonprofits, planners also need to think about ways we can flip that paradigm and not be so uh, top down, but really resonate from and build up from uh, the community itself for what they want to see in their neighborhood, right? For a number of reasons. And so really following in the footprints of other successful bottom-up planning efforts in Memphis, like the uh, SOMI RAP South Memphis Revitalization Action Plan. I think that was one of the uh, more famous ones that was um, done probably, what, in like 10 years ago now, 10 or 12 years ago, and was led by University of Memphis Planning Department, former faculty there, Dr. Ken Reardon, um, who is you know, a well-known equity planning scholar, and and that really continues to drive- In, par- in partnership with, um, with, you know, Reverend, Kenneth yeah. Robinson and and the church and the work CDC. I mean, I think he, I think you know he was his vision um, that 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 made it. But that that was a very that was just a wonderful plan um, and a great partnership um, that really. And the great thing, and I don't and I don't want to digress. Although I think we could circle back to this is the um that plan a lot in that plan has ended up getting implemented and that was kind of done outside of traditional planning circles when we weren't in an era of planning like the way we are now we'll talk about that in a minute but a lot of that you know health was a big part of that plan and the creation of the south memphis farmers market and the south memphis grocery um you know more pedestrian infrastructure, parks, it's all kinds of things. And that's just in the health arena. That was a lot of that plans ended up getting um, implemented. And I think the fact that it was bottom up, just, you know, it had built in community support um, just out of the gate. So I can understand why Brittany would want to use that as a model. Yeah. And much like, you know, Dr. Kenneth Robinson and members of the works, um, it was their vision to bring that plan, right? I think Orange Mount was saying this. This makes a lot of sense, and 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 then it also, you know, leads to, um, especially in terms of what is what is a priority and and what are what are planning efforts going to focus on, right? Uh, it takes a much more holistic view, right? So you mentioned health. Um, you know, we for our for our planning effort with Mound Up, we pulled from 
the the topics areas that the Somi Wrap and other bottom up plans listed, and we worked with the community to come up with six core. We kind of call them buckets or focus areas, or really just different ways of thinking about the holistic vision of the neighborhood. And so health is one of them, uh, definitely. Uh, we also look at public safety uh, and crime. And, and let me just say, with all of these, right, we have very expansive ways of thinking about them. So public safety could be everything from, you know, mowing vacant lots have been shown to decrease perception of crime, right? We're not necessarily thinking about traditional public safety, traditional health mechanisms like farmers markets is a different, more holistic way of looking, building a healthy community, right? So health, um, crime, public safety, education, which really also could kind of go to youth, right? Just thinking about uh, the, the youth empowerment and the future of the neighborhood that way, uh, economic development, uh, housing, and then most importantly, especially in Orange Mound, cultural preservation, right? How do we maintain the, the vibe, the feel, the, the unspoken, you know, just kind of uh, gut feeling you get, right? When you walk into uh, a neighborhood with so much rich history as, as Orange Mound does. And so, and so those are sort of our six topic areas. And, and what we do is when we did the class, we had to start before we got into any of the, the details of the projects or before students really um, worked closely with the Orange Mountain residents, we had to do two really important things. First and foremost, I think most importantly, we had to talk critically and honestly about what it means to be um, to be a Rhodes student or, or to understand the posture and position you take when you enter a urban and a predominantly black, you know, historically black neighborhood like Orange Mound and, and what those perceptions are going to be both ways, right? The way the community is going to see you, but more importantly, the posture to take towards the community, which for us, and we stress this time and time again, we spend a lot of time in class talking about this. And I was so glad to hear Mary Elizabeth say it in the first half, the community is in the driver's seat, right? We're, we are following their lead. Um, Mr. Muhammad and residents like them, Brittany and others are casting the vision in our role. They want to, you know, they want to have a farmer's market. They want to increase green space. They want to, whatever the X, Y, and Z is that the residents are calling for, our role is to say, okay, that's what you want. Let's go look at other cities. Let's go look in the planning literature. Let's go look in, in Memphis examples, right, from the successful efforts like Somi Rap. And let's, and let's see what this, what this could look like in this context and how we could adapt this to, to Orange Mound. And, and also, I think the most important part of, uh, of the Somi Rap plan as well was they created catalytic moments, right? Before there was a South Memphis farmer's market, they did pop-up farmer's markets where there could be, right? Um, and, and so we really wanted to make visible ap applied impact. And this is another thing that's different from traditional planning. A lot of times, again, to varying degrees, traditional planners think of the planning process as sort of you know, isolated from everything else, right? We want to get to we want to get to implementation, but we need to start planning first. And we we thought we could carry a parallel track, right? We could kind of walk and chew gum at the same time to a certain extent and have, you know, visible, maybe albeit small, right, but visible progress in the community. So for example, we're wrapping up uh, a public art mural on the side of the Avinsky building, um, the the homeless uh, hub that was mentioned in the first part. Um, we have a local art artist that's going to paint a mound up mural and more importantly, going to discuss and provide data towards the inequities from Orange Mound in other neighboring communities, right? So we, we saw this from Chicago. There was a public arts project in the Garfield Park neighborhood where they showed Garfield Park and they showed, you know, more affluent communities like Lincoln Park and downtown Chicago and, and other areas and saying this is what impact of systemic disinvestment has meant to our community. And that is ultimately the second part of the class, right? So the first part is we think about the posture, we think about the way the students are approaching the work. And then secondly, we talk about how neighborhoods became inequitable, right? How paths of uneven development occurred from the early 1900s. You know, we talk a lot about redlining, but it's so much deeper than redlining. Redlining by itself did not, we talk about restricted deeds, we talk about urban renewal, we talk about, you know, a number of different tools and policies that have led to Orange Mountain neighborhoods like it looking the way they do today and why that happened and ultimately named the intentional decisions that were made. And I know you and I talked a lot about this before. The, it, when we think about a system, right, we, we detach it from an individual. And all of these systems are constituent decisions made by individual people. And so we can unravel them and reconstitute a more equitable system 
that is better for Orange Mountain community by making those same attentional incremental changes. And so we, so that's sort of what we ground the class in. And then we spend the first, just about the first half of the class working on that. And then we got more into uh, the second half of the class where we brought, you know, residents were invited to all classes. You know, they were panelists on a lot of classes um, near the end of the semester. Most of the work was around these different buckets and every student picked, um, we, we divided into three groups and, and covered half of the buckets and each student created a project that would have immediate application into the community today and also uh, a form of, of that same project would be sort of background research into into the plan as well. So, so okay, well, you just told me a lot. I did, um, sorry. <laughs> um, and I want to circle back to the, um, you know, the posture in the community um, because, you know, I was, I, I got my master's in planning and, of course, was involved in a lot of community planning efforts. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, you do feel like you're helicoptering in. And I think the community feels that way. Another thing that happens is that, you know, communities often feel like they've just been studied ad nauseum. And, you know, that a college class will come in and ask them a bunch of questions and then they'll go off and write their papers and the data doesn't get shared with the neighborhood and then nothing ever happens with it. So so how did you I mean, of course, I taught at Rhodes a couple of years and it's was a great in the urban studies program was a great experience. But those, you know, the students, of course, are young and they're they're mostly affluent and they're mostly white. So how do you. How do you teach that? I, I would say the first thing, right? So, so there's there's sort of uh, what I would say like explicit trust building and sort of implicit trust, right? So implicit is just natural. I'm going to say that I'm going to do this, and you're going to expect it. But I think working when we're doing, you know, an institution such as Rhodes, working with a community such as Orange Mound, it was also important for us to not just talk that talk, but meaningfully walk the walk in terms of how the data was collected, how it was shared. And so we're in the process of finalizing. Um, Elizabeth mentioned in the first half, you know, we have a, a survey, Mr. Muhammad did as well. We have a survey that's out there. All of the, the data collected through those surveys, all the data collected listening sessions, anything that we touch or do or have is owned and shared and ultimately the product of Juice Orange Mound and the Orange Mound community. Rhodes is here to assist them. And, and so we, we have a, a MOU, data sharing agreement, that spells that out. And we make and students take a confidentiality pledge that they'll keep, you know, the confidentiality of names and, and and individuals. You know, they're sharing a lot of information, personal information about themselves and what they want to see in the community. And we want to make sure that that is not service at all by us. We don't use it without Juice knowing. Juice doesn't use it without us knowing, right? It's a total symbiotic relationship, and any deliverables or anything that's produced from it is of and by the community, right? And so. Um, and so I think that was sort of the explicit trust building activity for us, which allowed us to say, yeah, I mean, we're going to build trust. We want to be there. And then the other, the other third thing that's really important to that is a commitment to not just be there for one semester in one year. Right. And that is where I have to t- tip my hat to Elizabeth Thomas and the entire urban study. She's the chair of the urban studies department. And in the way that that urban studies department has grown and developed and it's you know uh, 10, 15 years of existence, relatively new, new existence. Um, that they, they have really had a, a deep rooted commitment to uh, being community driven, but but also really making long term commitments to organizations. Right. So Elizabeth has done tons of work with Bridges USA. Uh, there's another another colleague in the department, Peter Hostler, who has a free clinic, free health clinic in in South Memphis. And so they they don't. It's not just one semester and go get a grant or go write a paper. Right. Like, like we've made a commitment to be here for years. I mean, we're already going into our second year. We're moving from planning and implementation. We're already having conversations about what's after implementation, right? Can we bring other tools in the college, not just urban studies, but can we bring in the business school to work with the incubator, right? Okay. Can we can we get can we get some um, some ideas around logistics for Mr. Muhammad's Mo the the, the mound project, right? Okay. Like, what are other resources we could bring to there? So. Yeah, that's important. I didn't know that. Um, so if you're just joining us, you're listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM, and we're talking about the Mound Up Urban Revitalization Plan. So, um, so Austin, let's, you know, unlike when, as I said, unlike when the SOMI wrap plan, you know, for, for most of my certainly career in community development, it was 
almost no planning done in the community at all. And we've really, um, we've entered sort of a, a heyday of planning. And of course, as a planner, this is, you know, gets me excited. I have to ring, ring the jargon bell on myself before I get out of control. But, you know, the, you know, not that long ago, the Memphis 3.0 comprehensive plan was created and adopted. And now the, and now the planning and development department of the city is undertaking, you know, small area plans in a number of places in the community and number of neighborhoods. And, and, and I think those are sort of, you know, traditional plans, probably, you know, looking at land use, transportation, and, you know, open space parks, kind of economic development. And the, and, you know, hopefully those plans will be adopted. And, 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 you know, for a long time in the community, also, when there was planning done, it wasn't at all connected to, how the city spends its money. And that has changed as well in that there's a commitment by local leadership to, to attach dollars to implement plans, which is just as big a step forward uh, in the planning realm as doing the plans itself. But so all that to say, this plan's a little untraditional um, and both in terms of the way it's being done and also what it's, even though it has focus areas, it's a little untraditional. And how did you envision it sort of fitting in with that whole, what's happening in planning right now? Do you think, do you see it going to city council for adoption? Um, and that's a rambling as usual, but talk a little no, bit about that's that. Great. It's great. I, th- I think in both cases, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assert here, and, and I haven't thought a whole lot about this, but I, I'm going to assert that in both cases, whether a city is in sort of an era, renaissance of planning where you got a lot of different plans coming around, or if Memphis is where they were for most of your career and, and you know, 10, 15 years ago where there's a lack of planning, in either case, I think the having a bottom-up planning process to me is just as important in one area as the other. In, in one case, when there's no planning going on, someone has to set intentionality, right? No one's really thinking about what long-term and, and we're sort of you know tying ourselves to more reactive policy and, and interventions. And, and so someone needs to, to be intentional because there were intentional decisions that were made to create you know, South Memphis and Orange Mound the way they are. And it's going to take intentional decisions to get us out. So that's that's a necessary. And then I would say they're just as equally important, though, in the era we're in, because now there are you know other folks that are that are also being um, intentional about really more physical built environment aspects, right? So the sidewalk length, you know, the frontage back on the buildings, the um, infrastructure planning around you know sewage and land use plans, like what do we want to zone this for? What are we zoning that for? Like those are very important, but I think the way we're, way we're thinking about our plan is it complements that in a lot of ways because it says it really picks up where a lot of those plans end, right? So this is what the space is going to look like. This is the place is going to look like. And what we're saying is this is how the people are going to reshape and reconstitute that place to build a community, right? It's like you can't make a house a home. You can't make a bunch of buildings a community, right? When we're talking about planning a community and planning a neighborhood, we have to think about how these aspects of education, health, and and public safety, and housing, and all those buckets fit into, um, you know, the, the the small area plan for Park Avenue that's that's undergoing right now simultaneously, right? And and and, so, and, we, so, and we get, so there is a small area plan for Park Avenue happening. And how are those two things really complementary? They they're having they're thinking a lot about the interchange on Lamar. Uh, to my knowledge, uh, the Marin Airways and then um, the park corridor up to Dallas, right? So they, they have a very finite, impactful, but, but finite location. And, and we're obviously looking at the entire neighborhood. And so we're, we're having open conversations with, with DPD. We've uh, let, you know, Director Zena and, and that department know what we're doing. We've shown up to their meetings. We've invited them to ours, right? Being really symbiotic. And I think what they'll leave with, right, especially in the guise of Accelerate Memphis, is they'll leave with specific catalytic projects and moments that they're proposing. And if the residents are supportive of those same projects and want to see uh, the, that same vision come to fruition and prioritize it, 
then then that we have space for that in our plan as well, right? And and so and so we think just I think the the work and the momentum and having that intentionality and that planning is super important. I'm so glad getting to be a part of Memphis in in this time of its history, but at the same time, it's almost even more important, right? That the residents are because much like we talked about last week with Summer Avenue, right? If if it's just Braden and you don't have the Merchants Association there, right? You don't have Megan in her work, then it it just creates a one-way street, but it's, it takes both the community and the, the technical expertise to really, uh, really create a holistic vision for, for a neighborhood. Well, I agree. I just hope they really, there's, um, it's not just intention for them all to connect, but that really plays out that way because there is a lot going on. As we mentioned, there's, you know, there's, you know, Melrose, which is part of the Accelerate Memphis project. And, and the, so I know, so, so, you know, the plan is, um, you know, by the neighborhood, for the neighborhood, that's pretty clear. And you're kind of a behind the scenes quarterbacking um, role like with, with the stu- with, with the stu- Well, yeah, maybe that's drink, not, maybe quarterback is not right. Um, you're the, I don't know what the right analogy is, because I don't want to suggest that you're, you know, in a decision making role, because of course you're yeah. not, you're, so you're supporting that's right. Um, you're supporting the you're you know supporting the neighborhood's efforts with the students. But what is um, I mean, what kinds of investments would you would you like to see? I mean, is are there going to be you know incentives needed to do some of the things that the neighborhood would like, um, or do you think the neighborhood will you know pursue grants to? to do the incubator and some of these other projects, the orchards, they just mentioned so many great projects that are kind of in the works. And of course, those are going to take dollars to, to, um, to implement. Yeah. Uh, I, I think, you know, going back to, um, going back to bottom up planning, other bottom up <laughs> processes. Oh, I'm sorry. That was my dog. Sorry about that. And I should have said briefly because we're almost out of time. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. Um, yeah. So, so I, I think everything, almost everything we're talking about is going to take varying degrees of investment. I think some will take the shape of philanthropic investment. Some will take the shape of leveraging already existing investment around, you know, Accelerate Memphis. You mentioned um, you know, Liberty Park and, and Melrose and all these other initiatives. Um, and, but then I think some, I, I'm still pretty tied to the idea that I think a lot of the transformative work we can do will need some investment, but we're not talking, you know, across town, $200 million, right? Let's take, you know, Mr. Muhammad's Mow the Mound initiative and in and, and ways that that by itself, you know, in Philadelphia, they had a very similar program, uh, the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society ran, where that alone, all they did was mow the grass, put up a picket fence on all the vacant lots, right? They got control of the vacant lots and they put a fence on them. That by itself reduced the perception of crime by over 60%. That reduced real crime by over 35%. And it raised surrounding property values. I think I don't have the exact number in my head, but on average around you know five to ten thousand dollars a property, right? If it and for and it employed tons of residents in, in those communities. It was the new Kensington CDC in Philly that started it. Um, and now it's since expanded the whole city. And they have over 12,000 vacant lots and they've had hundreds of successful landscaping businesses all across the city. I think if we just do an orange mound version of that, that by itself begins to move the needle in meaningful ways. And so I think and re- they're all relatively cheap, relatively cheap. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not going to be free, right? I mean, everything we want to do is going to have some level of investment, but it isn't necessarily these silver bullet ribbon cutting type things, but it's more of, you know, if we can do little things like that and, and ultimately operationalize right resident control and wealth building opportunities and, and their ability to to have you know self-determinism that is so uh, vital to the orange mound identity i think that in and of itself will have untold you know uh, positive consequences long term well that's a great uh, that's a great note to end on austin i agree so you've been listening to memphis metropolis on wyxr 91.7 fm and i've been talking to austin harrison who's one of our regular commentators, but also is involved with the Rhodes Juice Orange Mound Partnership to create the Mound Up Urban Revitalization Plan. You've been listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis airs every Monday at one, so please tune in again next week. 
You can listen to past programs on our program page at wyxr.org or on memphismetropolis.com. You can also follow us and send feedback on social media. Now, stay tuned for Memphis Undercover with Nancy. Thank you.